0: Today on our Tech for Business podcast, we're joined by Nate, our Director of Cybersecurity and Andrew, our Security Incident Response Team Lead. This month, we've been talking about incident scenarios and what you can do to avoid them. So we started with close calls, we went into some email compromise and wire transfers. And today, we've got 10 different examples about ransomware. So before we really jump in, um, I'm gonna throw my first two questions to Nate. First, what terminology do we need to know? What are those beautiful acronyms that we should know to understand today's podcast? And then uh, what is kind of the number one thing or a couple of things a customer could do to stay off of this list?
1: Yep. The Yep. In terms of different acronyms to remember here, so we're gonna call out EDR uh, nonstop through this, uh, I'm sure. So. Endpoint detection response, it's a, you know, traditionally you had antivirus, now you have EDR, there's a lot of different acronyms, EDR, MDR, XDR, Um, I'm not going to go into the depth of those ones, but essentially what it does is it's bringing in behavioral monitoring into your traditional antivirus solution, um, trying to catch the the unknown risks, something that even if it's not malicious software, but it uh, behaves abnormally in a malicious way, it can still take action on that type of stuff. Uh, so that's going to be a big one. Uh, MFA multi factor authentication or two factor authentication, uh, depending on what you're used to hearing. Um, we might bring up, you know, ic three. Uh, we talked about that a little bit on the email compromise wire transfer. Uh, it's the Internet Crime and Complaint Center, which is the FBI's reporting division of cybercrime. Um, the I might bring it up. RTOs, RPOs a little bit. So, recovery time objectives, recovery point objectives, uh, business continuity planning, uh, all of that type of stuff is all going to be tied to your backups, how fast you can uh, back things up, at how much data can you potentially lose uh, throughout that. Uh, Those are the big ones that I can think of um, off the top of my head. And then, I would say the biggest things to try and stay off of this list is. EDR and multi factor are going to be the two biggest ones that come to mind. Um, Unfortunately, in most of these cases, you're going to find that having one or both of those solutions would have prevented a lot of this stuff from happening in the first place. Um, Removing local admin uh, permissions, otherwise there's also uh, Application whitelisting is another one. So no new software can be introduced into your environment unless it's previously approved because every one of these ransomware cases, the threat actor had to introduce new malicious software into the environment to encrypt data or steal data. And so if you have some type of application whitelisting tool in place, uh, you're going to very quickly uh, prevent yourself from being on this type of list. So. Sure, I don't know if you had anything else.
2: I think one thing, uh, DR, disaster recovery, um, you're talking that with the RTL RPO. So yeah, I think disaster recovery would be the only other one I think that we are gonna be talking quite a bit about.
0: For sure. And all the names and and some information have been changed to protect the innocent, (laughs) just saying our little legal spiel. Um, But yeah, how do you wanna start us off today? Uh, I guess I'll start
2: off with the first one. Um, this was a relatively recent incident. Um, it was from a threat actor group called Akira. Um, this client, they were compromised through their VPN, uh, the Cisco VPN, um, very prevalent now in um, ransomware cases just because there are plenty of vulnerabilities that have come out for the Cisco's and Cisco VPNs. Um, what happened was, Tacker got in. Um, They were able to uh, move laterally, escalate their privileges due to weak password policies, overused admin, uh, the same admin password for all the local devices. Um, In this event, um, the attackers were able to encrypt their backup server. Their backup server uh, essentially encrypted the backups off in the cloud. So essentially, they ransomware themselves by having this server get encrypted. Important things for that to prevent um, EDR would have been a big and important um, tool to have in place. Making sure that you do not reuse local admin passwords. Um, you know, Microsoft Laps, that's a, a free tool that can be deployed. Um, very easy to do. Um, as far as uh, other things, I would also say making sure your VPN and all points of egress on your network are up to date. Firewalls, your VPNs, um, any sort of sd WIN, anything like that, uh, where somebody from the outside can come in, it's the most up-to-date as possible. Um, another event uh, that happened uh, was through a, a threat actor called LockBit 2.0. Um, again, this was a compromise of a Cisco VPN, um, very similar in time frame from this, uh, the past one that we spoke about. Um, this one, the client did have EDR, but they did not have EDR on all of their endpoints. So the attacker was able to compromise a device without EDR and then just hammer on every single other device until it. they were able to encrypt um, other devices. Um, so again, making sure that your firmware is up to date on all externally facing devices um, and making sure that you have full coverage of all the devices that come into your network that you own, um, make sure they have an antivirus solution, preferably EDR, but have some sort of software protection in place. Um, because while EDR did make their job harder, um, no tool is perfect. And as we've talked about the security onion, um, you know, layering your defenses, um, EDR defended, but attackers found other ways because they had that foothold.
1: Yeah, that one was super interesting. Um just for some additional context behind that one because. In the EDR portal, we saw that the VPN uh, again, there was an account that was on that VPN that was compromised, so again, multifactor would have been a nice way to help prevent that. But um, from the logs, we saw the threat actor attempt to. Escalate privileges to the servers over and over and over again, and so in the logs, we saw the same attempt to all the different servers that had EDR installed. Uh, and then the next logs that we saw was coming from an internal host or workstation that did not have the EDR installed. And then they tried doing the same thing from that to the servers. And again, the EDR solution protected a lot of that stuff. What happened was that the that one internal device that they didn't have EDR deployed on, um had access to the file shares and so it started trying to encrypt all that data now the edr solution was able to start restoring a bunch of data as much as it could um based off of uh, i'm not going to get into the, too much of the depth here but uh, on the way that that typically works but it was able to start trying to restore as many files as it could um unfortunately they ha- did have to start pulling from backups. Um, because there were some limitations of uh, data coverage of, you know, what was acceptable. So uh, this is, again, where we're starting to talk about things like recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives is if, you know, let's say you're taking a snapshot every 24 hours or every five hours, but you actually needed data within the last hour, you might still need to pull back from a backup or potentially, um update your backup frequency to uh, help accommodate what the actual business needs are. Um, But again, for me, that was a really, really interesting one, seeing the tool continually block and block and block until it found that device that wasn't
0: protected. So, I guess uh if you're keeping track of
1: or just watching watching through all these different podcasts uh org 8 uh in our list here or three today is um one that this is a customer that was doing almost everything right um you know they didn't have EDR deployed when this happened um but they did have network monitoring they had phenomenal backups they had multi-factor widely uh, rolled out across the organization um, unfortunately their users did have local admin as well. Um, and so what happened in this next case was that there was a group called Conti. So this is a interesting group that has now uh, shut down. Um, so this is a group that was historically composed a lot of the Russian and Ukrainian hackers, uh, obviously with the war, they kind of split apart and everything like that. But essentially what happened was, um, we found that there was a, document in this environment which was an excel file with a malicious macro associated with it so a user received that phishing email um, clicked on the excel document was able to run that and then that's what kicked off uh, the ransomware incident um, so the biggest thing was they didn't have edr because we deployed that for them and then that's what found all these remote connections in their environment out to the threat actor it's what helped find that initial Excel files sitting in their download folder. Um, but what we were able to do is because they had solid and tested backups, we were able to get their entire environment operational in less than four hours, um, let them continue doing the workday. As while that uh, environment was running, we were able to continue doing full restores and forensics uh, without impacting the business. So, um, again, the If you start to pair all these different solutions in place and have a proper methodology to protecting the business, um, a a ransomware incident can be extremely minor impact compared to the traditional impact. Uh, Andrew, what's, what's the latest downtime on average for a ransomware incident?
2: Uh, two weeks, I think, is the number, um, but it could be even longer now with how the attackers are doing their stuff. So, but two weeks downtime, like you know, restoration of business kind yeah. of time.
1: That's probably your least favorite news to tell a customer when uh, we tell them that they're potentially going to be down for two weeks, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's it changes the mood of the conversation as just a hey, this is an inconvenience to hey, this could be business-ending, um, especially businesses that run on slim margins uh you know they don't have a lot of money coming in to pay everything they they depend on the ongoing business and being down for two weeks where they don't have that incoming business it, it it can end the business and so that really changes the conversation if that they they know it's you know we shoot to have it up as soon as possible um but average downtime is about
1: that two week yeah uh I think that I'll I'll kind of use that as a segue into the next organization because this customer, they had great backups that worked. However, they didn't do a great job at testing them with a disaster recovery test to ensure that they could restore as quickly as possible. Um, And so even though we were able to get the business operational and limping along in the first couple hours, they essentially were majorly impacted for two weeks. Um, And so this was one where the customer had a sonic wall VPN that hadn't, it was actually end of life at the time, hadn't been updated in years. Uh, There's vulnerabilities on it, uh, but they just kept using it and everything like that. You know, uh, (laughs) going back, we even told them, hey, this is end of life. You need to get rid of it. It's a security risk, Uh, didn't upgrade it. Therefore it led to this incident, but that VPN was compromised. Um, and so, with the backups, essentially what happened was they had these backups keeping all of their different servers restored and again testing them every single day that they could back up uh, appropriately. But what went wrong in this case was that this customer had, I think it was six different servers that all had to intercommunicate with each other to provide the total solution. And what happened there was the appliance that was running those backups and backup recoveries could only spin up three or four of them and so they had a couple servers that you could not run and so then you had to spend time doing full restores on those ones uh, rather than running them in a like a virtualized state therefore the business is still down and so that's what just dragged it on another couple days um, which again it was a significant amount of money lost in uh productivity uh, for that organization um customer also didn't have edr uh, implemented out there so people are able to move laterally uh as new malicious software is being loaded in um trying to steal data outside of the organization uh that's another big issue they did have you know sensitive data about customers sitting on their network that was lost as well uh, so then you had to go through uh, legal reporting off of that and then i believe the the last thing that i wanted to mention about that was their their organization was sorry i'm also trying to make sure that i'm not sharing a, a little too much info here um it was business altering we'll just put it that way is they had to completely change how their business operated
0: due to this incident, um, even though they were able to successfully restore so. The. Kelsey and Ariel, I don't know if you have any questions along that. I've, I've
1: been talking a lot here. <laughs> um,
0: well, I kind of yeah, I'll let you. I've got kind of. Um, a little bit of a wrap up question. I mean, I'll ask that later, but this feels very like stressful. If you're, if you're in this situation as a company, I mean, what do you do? Like, do you call your IT? Do you call your, the president and CEO? I mean, if you're in this situation and you're looking at your business potentially being down for two weeks, what does the kind of that first step look like?
2: If I may, mate. Um... (laughs) What's the, the first step on
1: our incident response plan, basically? Well, yeah. make sure you
2: have an incident response plan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's that's really important. Um, you know, you never hope to have an incident, but make sure you have an incident response plan. Who is responsible for what applications? Who is the call tree? Who are the um, important people in the mix when it comes to IT? When it comes to finance? When it comes to you know everything? Um, it's important to know this, these things ahead of time. Um, so then you know what to do because it's really no fun to get on a call and and we have to learn everything about the network before you know we can actually start helping you
1: yeah the the fact that came to mind was uh on our internal um incident response uh playbook essentially the first step that we have to find on that is take a deep breath call your family and tell them you're gonna be late home and it's gonna be a long couple of weeks um It's just the nature of it, right? Is um, for Andrew and I on that last customer that I talked about. Andrew, I think you and I were up for almost three days straight for the first, uh, yeah, the three days just trying to get that customer operating and moving along. So, you know, (laughs) we put in almost two weeks of time in the first three days. And over the next two weeks, uh, I I couldn't tell you how many memes and gifts and every everything we sent to each other just to keep ourselves sane uh, during that engagement. But that was also uh, one of my favorite times at CIT because I don't know if we we're just so slap happy or what, but... Um, <laughs> it might, it might but, have been the lack of sleep delirium
2: or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but that is the first thing for, uh, you know, as you face these types of situations is take the breath, tell people that you're going to be late. It's going to be stressful. We know that. Um, Our job is to help reduce that stress, help provide the empathy, help provide the um, the skill set and guidance to help you navigate that situation. Um, You know, I guess the one big thing here, uh, and I talked about it a little bit, is how do you prevent yourself from being on this list? And one of the things that come to mind is if there are security recommendations that come out of either CIT, another provider, your own internal CIT, or internal employees, please take it seriously because oftentimes something like we need to update our firewall. That seems minor, but we just talked about three different cases of the VPN being compromised due to outdated software or you know MFA not being implemented uh, for a user accounts there. This is serious stuff. And then also is oftentimes what we see is that organizations say, I don't have the money to do that. It might only take you an hour or two of time to implement that. But the comp- the alternative to that is thousands and thousands of dollars of incident response or forensics responses, legal responses, everything like that. And it seems like organizations always seem to find the money afterwards. So being a little more proactive on it.
2: The saying I like is, you know, pennies before an incident, dollars after. Um, Because, you know, if you pay some pennies here before something happens as a preventative measure, it's going to help you not have to pay dollars later.
1: Definitely. Yeah, yeah, sorry, the the last thing I had about that is uh, to implement EDR you can typically spend 10 years of edr payments just to cover one security incident it it makes no sense why that would not be an investment because the risk is so high the impact is so high and the cost of edr is so low Um, multi-factor most of them included for free these days Um, there are paid solutions that have a, a couple extra bells and whistles but 10 years of protection compared to one security incident, so, but sure. Uh, I'll touch on two, uh, two more, and then I'll hand it over to Andrew for a little bit. Um, this customer, they were not sitting in a great spot ahead of this security incident. They they didn't have EDR, they didn't have a great antivirus, they didn't have multi-factor, uh, anything like that, and so, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Response capabilities and the response progress, because that's what really impacted it the most. Um, and so it, this one was, you know, traditional phishing link. Someone clicked on it. Uh, their users did have local admin, which is terrible because it uh, greatly expedites the attacker's ability to grab admin credentials in that environment. Um, but one of the interesting things was we implemented EDR into this environment. We found 40 different computers that all had remote connections going out of the network, trying to maintain persistence to that threat actor. And so what happened there was, even though you might have taken a machine offline and tried to clean it, you still had 39 or you know, or so computers that had access. So it was extremely dug into their network. Um, now, when we deploy the EDR, it found all those and shut them down really, really quickly. But where the issue lied with this uh, environment was that the IT admins out there said we are losing thousands of dollars every day with this system being shut down. And so while we were going through the incident response process, which it has to be extremely meticulous and methodical of when do you bring up certain servers in particular order um, to help minimize reinfection of those brandly uh, brandly new configured or restored systems, uh, while it's still in a uh, hostile environment. They kept bringing up these servers without the guidance of the forensics or CIT incident response team. And so they actually ended up having to rebuild those systems three times because their internal IT kept spinning them up against guidance of the incident response and forensics professionals and it led to additional downtime than if we had just gone through the proper process um and so one of the big things here is when andrew comes in and tells you that you're going to be down for a potential 2 weeks on average and the customer wants to be up yesterday there's a, a delta there that you have to address on the emotional level almost and say we know you want to move fast but to move slow is to move fast uh, because if you do it the proper way, you'll be up faster than having to do this two, three, four times again.
2: Um, And also on that slowness, um, if you do have cybersecurity insurance, there is requirements uh, for them to pay that certain things are done. Um, And if you do them out of order, you lose logs, they can deny your claim and then you're really up the creek. Um, So it's uh, important to move slowly to move fast in the end
1: yeah and andrew's talking about the ofac check this is something that the u.s treasury put into place i believe it's 2020 now um where they will prohibit payments to ransomware groups or nation states that are on a sanctioned list and so in those cases um if you are compromised and it's known to be a uh Sanctioned threat group. You're not authorized to make payment to that group to restore data or you know retrieve files. Otherwise, you could actually face a fine from the U.S. government as well for making that payment. On top of that, Uh, therefore, and then also for a a managed service provider like CAT, we cannot assist you with that because we could also face similar fines from the government for assisting you with that. Um, So you know the, the government, CAT, we all say. Do not pay the ransomware demand. The biggest thing is, again, all this preventative. Time to prevent it from happening in the first place because it is will easily dwarf. Whatever the cost of a major security incident is right. Uh, Last one, this one holds a special place in my heart uh, because it's the first one I ever had to respond to. Um, You know, sorry to the customer if you're listening uh, that this is someone that just called into CIT uh, i was brand new into CIT at the time and they just said hey our our environments down can you come help us out and i went out there um, and started helping out with ransomware and you know doing a little investigation trying to figure out what happened you know what does the environment even look like everything like that cuz again brand new to us and I found that there was riot ransomware, which is a, it used to be one of the most expensive ransomware groups out there on demand payments. Uh, I believe that's a group is no longer in place. Uh, I'd have to go double check that, but the way that it impacted their network was the, the systems out there were operational, but their server was down, um, which was driving their ordering software. They were still able to make phone calls. And so their Um, Order department was literally just writing down customers' names, credit card infos, whatever they wanted to order on pieces of paper while I was there, just trying to keep the the business operational. And then once they could restore the systems and they'd have to go manually enter all that data back in, what I found out there was that every single workstation in that environment was end of life, so it was no longer receiving security patches. They didn't have any type of uh, EDR in place out there. Their server was a 2003 server, also end of life. Um, And then as I was walking around, you know, and I noticed that there was a hard drive plugged into the back of this. uh, Sorry, it wasn't even plugged in. It was sitting behind the server. And I asked them, hey, do you have backups uh, for your server that we can maybe restore from? They said, yeah, we do. I said, is that the hard drive that was plugged, you know, or sitting right behind that server? They said, yeah, it was until we unplugged it okay let's uh let's take it onto a different system and see if we can get it up because the server was completely corrupted brought it in and i saw that ransomware started going down the files of their backups as well and it stopped three files short of their entire customer database and so we were able to actually restore that but they said that if it had hit that file they would have closed up their shop Um, but unfortunately well, fortunately for them, it corrupted the server a little too quick and shut down the server before it encrypt, encrypted their uh, backup there. And so in that case, we were able to actually get the customer backup and operational. Uh, <clears throat> I believe that one was about two weeks to almost completely rebuild that environment. Um, but the the premise of that is you have to have what they call immutable backups. These are ones that cannot be tampered. And then also there's the, you know, the 3 two, one rule when it comes to backups. Now I'm going to totally blank on that. Uh, but essentially having multiple copies of your backups, having different locations where they're stored, um, and I should probably look that up uh, for the the details again on what the 3-2-1 specifics are, but essentially having good solid tested backups, not a hard drive plugged into the, the back
0: of your server.
2: to the next client here. Um, this event um, was due to an unpatched Exchange server, so publicly facing, running an older version of Exchange. Um, we had deployed EDR to their network because they did not have it previously, and we found that there were about 60 sessions connecting to the threat actors. Um, I, uh, the attacker slips my mind here right now. Um, In the event of this uh, compromise, the attackers were able to encrypt their backup server as a Veeam server. Um, I like that Nate brought up immutable backups here just a minute ago because these backups were not immutable. They were still locally stored, so the attacker on the network was able to encrypt all of those backups. Um, It actually required um, some actual data recovery, taking the physical device to be Um, Manually restored down at the block level. Um, It was uh, very expensive and time-consuming. That was truly um, two plus weeks before even business was uh, functioning slightly close to what they were before. Um, I didn't
1: find the uh, what the three two one was again. Three copies of your backups, two different methods of storing it. So again, if it's on like a drive level versus cloud level, that would be two different. Versions of how it's stored, and then one offsite. So the one that Andrew's talking about was they had two copies, one form of storage, two locations, because there was an offsite one, but it was doing the same replication. So, so it wasn't following the full three two one rule. So sorry, Andrew. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, good. That was essentially uh my story there for that
1: one. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting one because we actually had a call in forensics and data recovery on that one and take all their data and that was the the hill Mary play to try and get their data back and thankfully it was a uh, uh, successful result.
0: So. Thanks for finding that. I was also Googling on the side like, oh, you gotta find this, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, Andrew, and I know you had a couple more incident responses you wanted to uh, share.
2: Yeah. um, Another incident here. um, This is by a threat group called Doppelpayer. Um, The incident started uh, with a suspicious FedEx email. Um, Now, obviously not from FedEx. uh, The attackers were able to convince a user to open the document. And from there, the um, attackers were able to Compromised the entire network. Um, I think it was uh, $600,000 was the initial payment, and then after um, the time expired, the payment doubled up to $1.2 million. Um, With this incident, there were a lot of -of end-of-life devices in the network and maybe more servers than they probably ever needed, period. Um, So it gave a very large attack threshold for the attackers um, to gain foothold, escalate privilege. Um, They did have RSA, uh, MFA in place, uh, but that wasn't enough with the end of life servers that the attackers were able to compromise. Um, Again, did not have EDR in place at the time. Um, Now, I guess I have another story about a um, incident that was relatively new to me. Um, It was still a network compromise. It was still a threat actor but they did not encrypt the data. All they did was get into the network, exfil data, and leave a little note that says, hey, I got all your data, pay me. Um it's interesting, I guess. Um, I get what the thought process is, you know, they're not ending business because you know, business ends, you don't get paid. Um, they could still function, but um it was definitely in a, an an interesting um attack. Mm-hmm. Um that was due to uh, weak password policies, um, especially a legacy account that password was set for it many years ago and it was used for many services. And so the pain to change that password was um, an assumed risk because they didn't want to have to go through all this other stuff to to update it. Um, so that was a, uh, a difficult one to deal with. Um, I, I didn't hear the end of that one. Uh, the internal IT handled the rest of it, but um, it was a... Uh, definitely an interesting one. And I think, Nate, I'll let you handle this very last one.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I did want to add on about the threat groups that don't always encrypt data, um, even if they do encrypt data, that the tactics of these threat actors change over time. And so it's really been interesting to see this where typically they would just encrypt the data, say, give us money. uh, And then that was the end of it, right? Then they switched to what they called double extortion was they would take the data and then encrypt the data and then if you didn't pay they'd say well we still have your data that we can potentially leak Um, and so uh, I think org 8 or org 3 that I mentioned up above was one that they had a lot of sensitive data they did pay to prevent it from being leaked further Um, but then they used those backups to become operational and so those are the ones where uh, that double extortions does tend to sometimes work. Uh, One of the other things that we've seen and so there's been threat groups like Tommy Leaks, Kara Kurt, anything like that where they don't encrypt the data but they take it but then what is really interesting about these ones is they don't just tell you that you have the data they'll start calling your employees and say tell your IT team and the business leaders to make a payment because we already know that you know we have your data they're ignoring it because that's the other thing they monitor the chat log and so if you're hopping in and out of that portal trying to see if there's any updates they see every single time that you're in there which then prevents better negotiation tactics um and so one of the things there is we've also seen it where they have obtained a customer list of that in business then they started calling the customers or emailing the customers saying go tell your vendor or partner to pay us because we have your data and they're not being responsible to prevent that from being leaked so now you have your customers calling you saying what happened you know the, the, the cat uh, is it the the cat out, is out of the bag i, I forgot the <laughs> the saying there but
0: yeah, yeah the cat's <laughs>
1: out of the bag there <laughs> um, and so there is a lot of new techniques being uh, done there. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is that, uh, there was a bank that we ended up working with. I, I won't go into too much of the details, but the biggest thing was this customer, although they didn't have EDR in place, they had everything else done very, very well. Um, and so, it, you know, we know we identified that there was ransomware in this environment, I believe it was 5 a.m. And then we had the entire environment operational by 7 a.m. So when the first customer walked through the front doors of that bank, they could do business. Customers never suspected a thing, Um, but that's just how I wanted to kind of wrap that up and say, When you don't have something like multi factor or patch devices or EDR in place. As of fallback, making sure that you have the proper backups tested to ensure that you can do a full recovery in the timelines, restoring the same amount of data that is acceptable of loss to you. Within again, everything is uh, adequate to the business needs. Because in that case, ransomware was a minor issue out there. Um, it was just, yep, we have ransomware. Two hours later, we're back up and now we'll go deal with the residual effects of that. But no one knew about it. It didn't impact their business. They had no financial loss other than, you know, having to do their cybersecurity insurance claim. But that was the extent of it. So.
2: I I'd like to also add something to that is that you you can do everything perfectly. You can spend um you know, lots of money on all, all these tools and layering your defenses. It's very important to do, but it, it does take one weak link that the attackers can exploit. Um, You know, it, you have to protect everything. The attacker just has to get one thing right to be able to compromise you. Um, the goal is is to make the attacker's job difficult, that they'll go to somebody else. They don't want to spend 45 hours trying to figure out how to get into your network, where they could go to some guy down the street and spend 15 minutes and then get the same amount of money. Um, so, you know, you can do a lot of things right, but it does take a lot of layering your defenses and making sure that the right tools and people and things are in place uh, to help prevent it. because. Um, if a security person ever tells you you are 100% safe, they're lying to you um, because no one is 100% safe at any point in time.
0: So on that vein, to kind of wrap us up, um, so you've convinced me. I'm an IT admin. I need all of these things. How do I start that conversation with my C-levels? I mean, going in and asking Free tools are great, and and maybe there are some out there, but you know sometimes you need to um, pay for those tools. How do I start that conversation?
1: Yeah, one of the big things is just talking risk to the business. um, Is security? You know, we're we're not here to say no to everything, right? We're we're trying to help just do risk reduction to organizations. That's that's everything that cybersecurity is about, Um, and so. If there is some type of risk to the organization of saying, we don't have great backups today. So what is the impact if we lost data today? You know, Maybe our backup server completely crashed uh, and we weren't able to restore data. What does that cost the business? Is it $20,000? Is it $100,000? Whatever it is um, for all that data that you lost. That's one thing. Now, if we said we have solid backups, but it's going to take me two weeks to pull all this data from, you know, tape drives or something like that, because we're still using a legacy version of it, what does your business make within two weeks? Calculate that and say, that's how long we would be down and not generating revenue. Um, Now, that might be $50,000 a day, it could be in some cases we know customers that are generating a million dollars a day of revenue, right? So that very, very quickly will pay for your backup solution there. Um, Same things with EDR, right, is if we know that these are so successful at preventing things like malware and, you know, everything like that, taking what, again, whatever that downtime is, For some type of security incident and whatever the cost is to go bring in a third-party forensics third-party incident response firm that'll very very quickly start paying for those tools Um, but taking everything and correlating it back to the risk and operations of the business is critical it's not just going to them and saying please give me another three thousand dollars or whatever it is uh, for for the solution show them that you're trying to help keep the business operational and moving forward.
2: Nate did hit on it quite a bit. Just, I, I would say putting it into dollars and cents because to a C-level person, they don't care that, you know, all these bits and pieces of all these ways the attackers can get in. You know, if you put in that perspective of you're down for two weeks, how much money are you're losing, this tool is one one thousandth that price. Let's talk about it. Um, the 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 thing our uh, CISO likes to say is the boiling frog um, um, ac- er, uh, analogy, I guess. It's, you know, you, you don't throw a frog in boiling water. You put them in the pot and you turn the heat up. So let's get, you know, the MFA. Let's get the EDR. Let's put those in place. Make sure you're in and you're good and then slowly work your tools upwards. I wouldn't say to buy all the tools, all the whiz bangs as fast as possible because, you're not going to know everything about every tool. You're not going to make sure everything's all in place because you have other things you're dealing with. Um, Make sure that you have the best thing for your dollar um, and make sure that you have it well configured before you move on to something new.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, this will be as you're wanting to be a little bit more mature on the risk conversations, but there is something called FAIR. It's a FAIR model. Uh, And what it does is it takes it uh, takes risk and tries to quantify that, whatever the total loss is, Um, and then you can start helping uh, take that model to talk about, you know, what's the cost, what's um, the impact, what's the likelihood of these different security threats, and then help, um, again, quantify and better communicate that to the business.
0: Well, thank you both. Thank you, Nate and Andrew, for joining us today. Um, if you liked this podcast, please like, subscribe, reach out to us. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, um, you can email us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.